Well, good morning and welcome to worship this morning. It's our first in-person service since March 8th. And so for those of you that are here, we are so happy to see your faces. It is so meaningful and it will be special to worship with you this morning. And yet the majority of us are still online and that's wonderful. We, um, it's a privilege every week to share in your sacred space of your home and worship with you each week. We look forward to it. So whether we're online or whether we're in person this morning, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, chosen and dearly loved by our Creator and our Father. So this morning, uh, we have two brothers in Christ uh, from the French African community. One of my favorite things about Wheaton Bible is that we're able to um, have so many ethnicities represented here. And so uh, Papicho and Kanigi are going to read to us from Psalm 95 in their heart language as well as in English. So thanks for leading us, you guys. Thank you. Venez, chantons avec allégresse à l'Éternel, poussons des cris de joie vers les rochers de notre salut. Allons au devant de lui avec des louanges. Faisons retentir des cantiques en son honneur, car l'Éternel est un grand Dieu. Il est un grand roi au-dessus de tous les dieux. Il tient dans sa main le profondeur de la terre et les sommets des montagnes sont à lui. La mer est à lui. C'est lui qui l'a faite. La terre aussi, ses mains l'ont formée. Venez, prosternons-nous et humilions-nous. Fléchissons les genoux devant l'Éternel, notre Créateur. Car il est notre Dieu et nous sommes le peuple de son pâturage. Les troupeaux de sa main conduit. Aussi, vous pouvez écouter aujourd'hui sa voix. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, 
the great king above all gods. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care.
Amen. You can have a seat. Let's join and pray together. Well, Father God, it is so easy to fly through these great truths in these songs and to sing them without truly internalizing them. Your love literally rolls over us, leading us to heaven. You never change. You watch over us, your loved sons and daughters, and you died to call us your own. And Jesus is always mediating us for us with you. We take a moment to praise you individually in the quiet of our own hearts. These are the things that we're thankful for. And yet somehow we keep forgetting these great truths for which we just praised you. We go through our days worrying about our problems or other people's problems when you've told us not to worry. We go through our days looking for love from friends and significance in our lives when you've already given us more love and significance than we could ever dream of. We go through our days looking for earthly comfort and pleasure when you've told us that often earthly comforts will lead us away from you. And so we confess that we are fully in need of your love and your forgiveness and your undeserved goodness. We take a moment to confess to you individually our need for you in the quiet of our own hearts. Thank you that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and you forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Assured of your love for us, we stand up straighter and taller, for we are undefeated by sin in Jesus' name. We are sons and daughters of the King, and we say that your love is greater than anyone can tell, and that our song of praise will forever endure because your love endures forever, too. We are surely one blessed people, we people of the kingdom of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand.
seat. Oh, it's so good to sing with the people of God, masked or not, right? Well, before we get to our sermon on the topic of marriage this morning, we realize that some of us are married and some of us are not. Um, Yet all of us in our lives have people who are maybe a little bit harder to love. And so we've spent a lot of time this morning looking at God's love for us and how deep it is and how enduring it is. And now, as we go into our next special song, we want to look at God's call to us to love others as Christ has loved us. 
And so we encourage you to think maybe there's somebody in your life that is harder to love and it's hard to forgive them. This could be the moment <laughs> where you start over and over again to let go and love them the way that Christ loves you. And so enjoy uh, this special song, and may it be the song of our church that we are people who love each other deeply. Good morning, it's so great to worship with you today. I'm Michael and I serve with our creative team. As Pastor Rob shared recently, we're excited to start gradually meeting on campus again. 
our gatherings have a few modifications in place to worship safely, including reduced size gatherings and asking you to wear a mask for the duration of service. To worship on campus, you can register now at our website. Every year, our church organizes and participates in CareFest. It's a great way to show God's love and build connections within our community by lending our time and skills to complete repair and care projects for others. CareFest begins on August 8th, so now is the time to plan or join a project. If you know a neighbor, friend, family, or organization that we can encourage and serve through a CareFest project, submit your ideas, and the CareFest team will help you make it happen. Registration for projects open soon, but your project ideas are needed now. We can't wait. Today we're talking about what the Bible has to say about marriage. One couple in our church, Stan and Lynn, were engaged in wanting to start their marriage off right. After going through our preparation for marriage course, they were just a few months away from their wedding when the pandemic started. Stan and Lynn are both healthcare workers working near COVID patients, and at the time were living with older family members at a higher risk. To care for their families, they wanted to move out of the house and live together, but to honor God, they wanted to get married first. So a few months ago, Pastor Mark officiated Wheaton Bible's first wedding over Zoom, and they hope to have a larger celebration with their families when it's safe to do so. Congratulations, Stan and Lynn. No matter if you're just getting engaged or facing challenges in your marriage, we want to help you live out God's plan for your marriage and for you to thrive. Through your generosity, we have great ministries like Preparation for Marriage and Reengage to help you wherever you're at. If you're able, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? You can easily do this by texting Wheaton Bible to 77977, visiting our website, wheatonbible.org give, or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Well, good morning, and good morning to those of you that are here worshiping with us, and the phrase I've been using, face-to-face, we recognize most of you are still in your homes. Some of you are meeting in small groups, and now beginning today and for the weeks and Lord willing the months to come, we will be able to gradually have more and more of us gathering face-to-face. Before I pray, there's a couple things I want to mention. And the first is we have a couple important messages coming up over the next several weeks in the book of Proverbs from our series on the book of Proverbs. So as you know, today I'm going to be speaking on the subject of marriage, which is critical because marriage today is experiencing its own pandemic of sorts. It's a pandemic of distortion. It's a pandemic of uncertainty. It's a a pandemic of dismissal. And so what we as followers of Christ believe about marriage, practice in our marriages, is absolutely critical. In a couple of weeks, we will be speaking on the subject of friendship and singleness. And then next Sunday, Pastor Hannibal is going to be speaking on justice and race and more from the book of Proverbs as we look at this notion in Proverbs of disadvantaging ourselves to seek the advantage of others around us. 
Now, before Hannibal speaks on this subject of race and in this climate where there's been so much racial strife, I just want you, our black brothers and sisters here at Wheaton Bible Church, to hear from me as a white man. I want you to know as a Christian and a pastor that I am so very sorry for what uh, you go through in terms of the insensitivity and the injustice, the suspicion and at times hostility simply because of the color of your skin. That is unbiblical and it is sin. And so as a white pastor, I am attempting to learn, I'm attempting to listen, I'm attempting to better understand things from your perspective. It's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And I'm a work in progress in this area. And I want you to also know, and I'm speaking personally, I'm also speaking for us as a church, that we are committed to not just standing against, but seeking to overcome all forms of racism. And in addition, we want to listen to you as our black brothers and sisters. We want to learn from you. We want to support you. And we want to do a better job in figuring out ways that we can reflect the oneness we enjoy in Jesus Christ relationally and in our lives. So I want to ask you to be patient with me, be patient with us. I want to encourage you to speak to us, but I want you to know we are deeply, deeply concerned about this, and Hannibal will be speaking to this issue next Sunday, but I wanted you to hear just a brief word from me. So having said that, let's pray. Father, we are amazed at who you are. Over and over this summer, we see um, evidences of what the psalmist tells us, that the world is full of your unfailing love. We see it in the beauty of the sky, in the beauty of the night, in the beauty of the day, in the, in the flowers, in the trees, and on and on, in the, uh, the colors, everywhere you whisper to us. How sunrise points to your resurrection. How summer points to our life in Christ. And how leaves on a tree point to give us just a, a picture of the body of Christ. And we worship you because creation reveals your unveiling love. But nowhere is that love more vividly displayed than in the perfect life, the perfect death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that Jesus became a man to go to the cross to die for our sins in our place, that the moment we believe we might find forgiveness and eternal life, we might be adopted into your forever family. What a vivid, tangible, specific, historic manifestation of a triune God's unfailing love. And today, Father, we want to pray for our marriages.
We want to pray for men and women that are married, uh, some for the second time or third time. We want to pray for people that are contemplating marriage, young couples, others. And we pray that your word might speak to us, that your word might be a light to our path. We pray for marriages in the United States and pray, God, that you would intervene in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile toward this institution. We ask God uh, that you would bless our black brothers and sisters among us, that you would uh, sustain them in the face of the different issues they face. So many of them are often unpleasant. We, I thank you for uh, these people that have been speaking to me over these last weeks and months for their graciousness and for their wisdom. And I ask that you would show us as a church that is committed to diversity and is making a significant progress in many ways, how we can do more, how we can do better, how we can engage at the relationship levels. And today we say we love you. We thank you for your word. And we ask that you would speak to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now let's watch this. You've been married for how long now? For six and a half? All right, just, just past seven months. Did you get to 44? 44 years? 44 years, yeah. We, we got some uh, newlyweds to submit questions. Uh, we have a couple of our own. Okay. Up. What is the hardest thing about marriage? People feel that marriages have to be perfect, and it's no perfect, but we are not perfect. You need to be honest with each other. It hurts sometimes, okay? Yes. I always ask him, do you want me to tell you the truth, or do you want me to sugarcoat it? I like the sugarcoated one. <laughs> you know, lots of people get married later on in life. What advice would you give to couples trying to merge their independent lives? Compromise. And that's yeah. a word that people don't like to hear. You have to compromise. I want the best for her. Mm -hmm. And she want the best for me. Mm -hmm. And that's how you compromise. How do you um, keep the relationship with someone you spend so much time with so fresh? He's always surprised. <laughs> You need to have fun. Sometimes I hide in that somewhere and, and she called me and I have no answer. <laughs> Life is so short that if you fight or argue about silly things, then you're going to pass on things that really matter. Happy wife, happy life. Okay? <laughs> I'm trying, really. I'm trying. How do you continue to show appreciation for each other? after 44 years of marriage. Just because you're married don't mean that she's not your girlfriend. Oh. We're still in that season. Yeah. <laughs> she's your sister in Christ, your fiance, your wife, and everything in there, okay? And the love of your life. Any parting wisdom that you guys have for us? There's always gonna be um, times when one of you is gonna be stronger than the other. Mm -hmm. One of you is going to go through a tough time and the other one has to be the strong one to hold you up. You have to maximize what you have when you have it. Enjoy what God yes. uh, is giving you. It's an adventure, guys, and that's what we believe. And uh, it's, yeah. 
Some people call us crazy, so keep that in mind. <laughs> You got to love that. So what we want to do is we want to see what Proverbs has to teach us about how we can make our marriages great, or as Willie just said, how we can make them a great adventure. But I can't stress the importance of this enough. Because really for the first time in the history of Western civilization, Western culture, we are facing forces that not only no longer support traditional biblical marriage, but are now working against it. And because Jesus is the hope of the world, it will increasingly be the church that will save marriages uh, by the quality of our convictions, by the character of our marriages. And so today, we desperately need a word from God. We need to hear what God has to say on this subject. So what I want to do is I want to first look at what Proverbs has to say about what marriage is, and then uh, what it looks like, uh, some pictures or some Snapshot. So first, what is marriage? Statement number one. According to the book of Proverbs, marriage is one man and one woman for life. For life. Now, in Proverbs chapter 5, it begins with the two words, my son. And then in the balance of chapter 5, there is a warning against adultery. And then in chapter 5 and verse 18, we come to these words. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And so when we put the beginning, my son, and the wife of your youth together, we see here and over and over in the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs assumes and upholds the sanctity and the beauty of marriage as one man and one woman for life. It repeatedly warns against the violation of that. It repeatedly describes what we can do to repair our marriages, sustain our marriages, and infuse our marriages with joy. So here we see rejoice in the wife of your youth. Any other definition of marriage is a distortion. And if God created marriage, which he did in Genesis chapter 2, and here, as elsewhere in the Bible, he defines marriage, one man, one woman for life, then shouldn't we as the church be making marriage famous by standing for, upholding, uh, exalting this definition? That's our great opportunity. Statement number two. Marriage is one sinful man and one sinful woman for life. So let me come at this through the back door. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now the reason we guard our hearts is, because, is not because our hearts are pure, but, but because our hearts are twisted, self-centered. 
and sinful. So self-examination, and that's the point of guard your heart, is a must because self-deception is a reality. Now, we see this a little more clearly in the next few verses. So here we go. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Do not turn uh, to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. The evil inside us, and this is the point of what's going on here, the evil inside us, the evil inside you magnetizes you to the evil outside you. And hence this warning after this uh, command to guard our hearts. Now this becomes a little more clear in the New Testament. So for example, in Mark chapter 7, this is what Jesus says. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Our sinful fallen hearts. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he gives us a list. For example, sexual immorality, theft, and murder. Now, having said this, I want to say there has only been one perfect marriage in human history. And that was a temporary perfection, and that was Adam and Eve before they fell in the Garden of Eden. But they fell because they made this fatal mistake of trusting, and now hear me in this, trusting in their feelings or their desires rather than God. And that has been a marriage killer ever since. So, for example, you show me a a couple where they both trust in their feelings rather than God. I'll show you a marriage that's headed for trouble. Conversely, you show me a marriage where in the press of life, and generally speaking, you have a couple that trusts in God and denies their sinful feelings or sinful desires. I'll show you a marriage that's headed for glory. I mean, big time. You see, the problem, all this to say is the problem isn't the institution of marriage, it's our sinful distortion of it. And as a result, what God intended to be the most thrilling and fulfilling, the most binding protective of all human relationships has become one of the most potentially destructive. And so because I'm from, I'm the product of a divorced home, I just want to say I ache for you who have experienced this pain, this damaging pain. Now before I go on to a third statement, let me just press pause and ask the question, now what in the world do these first two statements have to do with making our marriages great? First of all, we as followers understand Uh, that uh, a great marriage is rooted in this biblical definition of marriage. One man, one woman for life. And that becomes a guardrail, that becomes uh, a preservative for us. And then second, and here we come to the second statement, um, uh, we make our marriages great when we are increasingly aware of the danger and destructive power in marriage 
because of our sinful hearts. So again, to use the metaphor, we build guardrails, we build hedges to protect us in our marriages, to protect our marriage. We practice honesty and transparency with our spouses. We confess our sin and we extend forgiveness to one another. Now this brings me to the third really important statement here in Proverbs. Marriage is a covenant relationship before God. And we see this early in the book of Proverbs. We see this in Proverbs chapter 2. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth, and now here we have the language, and ignored the covenant she made before God. Marriage as a covenant is um, used again in the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. Now, what is a covenant? Well, in the Bible, a covenant is both a sacred and a legal bond. It has a vertical, covenant in the Bible has a vertical and a horizontal uh, dimension. And it's initiated and sustained by promises. We often use the word vows. So I want you to hear me. I'm going to make an important statement about, mar- about weddings. Weddings, therefore, in light of the covenant aspect of marriage in the, in the Bible, a wedding isn't so much a, a, a claim of present love. It's a promise, a vow, a future love that I'm committing to you, I'm vowing to you. Now the theology, and this is where it gets so very interesting, the theology behind that marriage is a covenant is Trinitarian in that our loving father covenants with sinful, fallen human beings to save and to redeem and to bless permanently and eternally in and through the work of Jesus Christ. So that the moment a person believes in Christ, Christ takes our sin upon himself and he gives us his perfect life. And we stand perfect in the sight of God. And so the term covenant when it describes God's covenant relationship with Israel uh, with humanity is used hundreds of times in the Old Testament and marriage reflects that but let me take it a step further because what God the Father offers us and God the Son through the power of God the Spirit is so full of intimacy and compassion and and acceptance that the Bible describes our covenant, our relationship with God in terms of marriage. And here I'm talking about the vertical, I'm talking about God relating to us. God uses the language of marriage to describe our relationship with him. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, Uh, Church, you are the bride of Christ. If you are a believer, you are the bride of Christ. Christ is your groom. Isaiah says, your husband is your maker. 
That's how intimate, that's how profound, that's how permanent our relationship in Jesus Christ is with God the Father. And so our covenant marriages at a horizontal level have been designed by a covenant-keeping God to point to God's covenant with us. And yes, our relationships with each other in marriage pale in comparison to the depth of God's love and forgiveness he offers us in Jesus Christ. But the promise here, or the point I should say in Proverbs chapter 2, is we are to treat each other in marriage with the same faithful, sacrificing, forgiving love that God has extended to us in Jesus Christ. And so marriage is a covenant. A covenant relationship, a covenant partnership according to the Bible. Now, do you see what this means? This means marriage isn't like a driver's license that every few years has an expiration date and you can renew it or, or not depending on what's going on in your life. What this means is marriage isn't over when your feelings change. Or when your wife or your spouse is diagnosed with cancer. Or when circumstances clobber you or somebody that appears to be better comes along. According to Proverbs, marriage is a covenant relationship, not just a convenient relationship. It thrives on selfless sacrifice, unconditional love. And a lifetime of extending forgiveness. So what do we say in our vows, our, our, our wedding vows? Don't we say for better or for worse? For richer, for poor, in sickness and health? Until death do us part? God has ordained your marriage to reflect his covenant relationship, his covenant marriage with you. And to the extent we understand this, church, to the extent we understand that God has created marriage, God has defined marriage, and, and marriage isn't merely just one man, one woman for life. It's a covenant relationship reflecting him. Then we will give ourselves to making marriage famous. And just maybe... The church can save marriage in our culture today. Again, by the quality of our convictions, by the character of our marriages. And so let me just say, some of you may not be on board. Some of you may not believe in the Bible. You're not sure you even believe in God. So let me press this. If God does not exist, then all values are relative. All values are tethered to circumstances. And I have one set of values, you have, have a, a, another. And, and, and they, they change depending on what we're going through. And all relation, values are relative and all relationships are transactional. And that, my friends, and I say this in love, is the fatal flaw of modern secularism. Because culture cannot sustain itself, 
this way, if values are relative and all relationships are, are, are transactions, you and I can't live this way. And marriage will not survive. Can we as a church save marriage? Can you as a follower of Jesus Christ make it famous? So three statements. Marriage is one man, one woman for life. That's the definition. One sinful man, one sinful woman. That's the danger. But marriage is one compassionate covenant relationship reflecting God's infinite compassion for us. That is the delight. So let's move from what marriage is now in Proverbs uh, to what it looks like. And as I said earlier, I want to give you some snapshots. And so because I believe ladies first, we're going to start with uh, what Proverbs has to say about you wives. And a couple snapshots of what godly women look like in the context of marriage. So let me begin, let me set this up with Proverbs chapter 12. And notice this, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. But a disgraceful wife, well, she is like decay in his bones. Now, I, I want you to see that Proverbs is saying there's two types of wives, a noble wife and a disgraceful wife. That's a generalization. But what's significant is the contrast has nothing to do with appearance or achievement. It has nothing to do with your personality type, introvert, extrovert. It has nothing to do with your wealth. It's all about character. Your character as a wife. And the word noble at the beginning of verse 4 describes your internal moral compass which is followers of Christ for us is a mix of the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. And what's amazing, according to, to verse 4, is it's this internal calibration, this internal code of conduct, your internal disposition towards godliness, toward God, that crowns your husband. Because you live a life of dignity. And by your love and by your lips, you encourage your husband. You speak truth into his life. You believe in him when he doesn't believe in himself. You lift him up when he, when he falls. Now notice the picture, the metaphor. You are your husband's crown, not his trophy. And the concept of crown suggests incredible power. Social, relational power as God gives you as a godly woman in the life of your husband. In other words, by your noble character, God will use you to make your husband great. To make him, if you will, a king. What an opportunity. So now I want to ask the question, well, what does a wife of noble character look like? And I want to give you three snapshots quickly from Proverbs. And here's the first. A wife of noble character is a woman that fears God. This is Proverbs 31. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. 
some translations vain, but a, a woman who fears the Lord, fears the Lord, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, this comes at the end, the final chapter in the book of Proverbs is chapter 31. And beginning in the second half of Proverbs chapter 31, we have a long, we have a beautiful description of what a noble wife looks like, what her attributes, what her characteristics are. And so we have verse after verse, and now verse 30 is the second to last verse in this chapter. And here we come to the key. What undergirds a, a, a noble character, a, a moral, godly code. And that is, you are a woman that fears God. You are a woman that lives vertically. Uh, you as a woman know holiness isn't merely external behavior. It isn't merely being moral for Christ. It's internally loving Christ from your heart. Because you have experienced his unfathomable love, Jesus' unfathomable love. And you are continually amazed by how much he suffered for you to forgive you. And you know deep inside you that Jesus truly is better than anything, than anything the world goes after. All the things in the world. And so you are a woman, you are a wife that loves Jesus because you are profoundly aware he loved you first. So you fear God the Father in the sense that you live in joyful awe of God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. Second, a noble wife builds her home. This is also Proverbs 31. She speaks with wisdom. She watches over the affairs of her household. One, I think one of the great strengths of Wheaton Bible Church, and really, if you think about it, one of the great strengths of any strong church uh, around the world is the commitment you godly women have to your home. Your tireless commitment to your family, to you, starting with your husband. Now, when my first wife, Carol, died, I learned in spades something I knew theoretically, and that is this, and I want to encourage you women by, by saying this. A woman is the emotional and functional center of a home. And wear that responsibility with beauty, with dignity, and when that emotional and functional center of the home is godly, it's a delight to your husband, it's a delight to your family. Third, and this is so important for us in our busy, affluent, suburban life. Noble women minister to others, now hear this, beyond the home. We see this in verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands, extends her hands to the needy. It's describing action, not just empathy, or not, I should say not just sympathy, 
Now, I don't have time to tell you about all the women here at Wheaton Bible Church who are so committed to the global cause of Jesus Christ that they pray and they pray and they give and they give and they go. And sometimes they go for a lifetime. More often they go for a short-term experience or multiple short-term experiences. I do not have time to tell you about all the creative ways women here in our church and other churches extend themselves to their neighbors, to people in need. Because godly women, noble women know that one of the best things they can show their children is that life just doesn't revolve around their family. But that the family is a platform for the disciple-making ministry Jesus calls us to in our worlds, starting in our communities and our jobs. And so godly women extend, godly women sacrifice, godly women serve. Now, having said that, let me go to husbands. There are two types of men, really this is true of women, I'm going to focus on husbands here in the book of Proverbs, the wise and the foolish. So we see this, and this is chapter 1. At the very beginning, we see this contrast. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There are wise men, and there are foolish men. And so what I want to do, just like I did with um, you wives, I want to look at three snapshots according to Proverbs, and there's so much more I could say about what a wise husband looks like. And here's the first. A wise husband is a man who seeks God. I want you husbands to think about that. You seek God. In the very next chapter, Solomon, the king, puts it like this. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. If you search for God as for a hidden treasure. Now let me back up because we're talking about wisdom to set this up. What is wisdom? We've been saying in this series, wisdom is living life with competence, with skill. And you men, God wants you to develop your skills, your abilities, your passions. That's true for all of us, male or female. He wants you men to lead and to follow. To work hard and to play hard, to work with excellence. And to enjoy life and to enjoy your friends. He wants you to serve your family and he wants you to to serve others. But in and through it all, your greatest opportunity uh, in, in obedience to what we are reading here is to seek God. In and through everything you give yourself to. And I want to suggest, this is we saw with godly wives, when we as men seek God, we will make our marriages famous. And just maybe the church 
can save marriage. Now Solomon saw this in his home fleshed out in his father David. Here's a verse I've been meditating on lately. This comes from Psalm 63. You God are my God. Earnestly, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My soul longs for you. Now notice the word earnestly in the second line on this slide. Solomon saw David who was the king of Israel, who was under extraordinary pressure. He had a nation to run. He had all sorts of political conflict to deal with. He had wars and battles that he personally had to fight. But Solomon, as his son, saw his dad. And the husband of his mother was a man who earnestly sought God. And you husbands, this is the greatest gift you can give your families. No wonder Solomon would say, here in chapter 2, that search for God as you search for hidden treasure. Earnestly. The New Testament picks up this word, earnestly. In Hebrews chapter 11, where we are told, without faith it is impossible to please God. And anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So husbands, do you earnestly seek God? Now let's go on to the second. Wise husbands love their wives. I mean big time love their wives. And let's go back to chapter 5. And you may rejoice... And may you rather rejoice in the wife of your youth. Notice the language. It doesn't say may you love the wife of your youth, but may you rejoice in her. Now, of course, you're going to have disagreements. Rhonda and I do. I mean, she's a physician and I'm a pastor and we both think we're always right. Of course, you're going to have friction. And there will be areas of difficulty and, and, and disagreement, but that's how God grows you. That's part of God's plan uh, to grow you. But look at the verse. Husbands, you don't just tolerate your wives. You so love them, you rejoice in them. So let me be specific. You've had a difficult day. Your wife's had a a, a difficult day. You may not even be aware of that. And what it means to love your wife, to rejoice in your wife, is you do not repay evil with evil. She disappoints you. She says something. She doesn't respond in the way you want her to. So as Peter says, you do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, you repay evil with a blessing. When we love, we bless. And Peter says, because to this you were called, that you might, husbands, inherit a blessing. So you speak a gentle word. You speak a, 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 a kind word. Uh, you don't keep a record of, uh, of wrongs. Now, this is um, a little parenthesis, but while I'm on the subject of blessing, 
I found this verse in Chronicles, and boy, has it helped me in terms of my role as a husband and a father. And look what Solomon experienced in his home. Then all the people left, and each for their own home. And David, after a crazy day, a stressful day, returned home to bless his family. Now, the concept of blessing is profound in the Old Testament. I'm not going to take the time to unpack it, but I want to say to you men, you husbands, memorize this verse. And as you're pulling in the driveway or you're on the train and you're getting ready to come home, tell yourself over and over, my responsibility is to walk into the door and bless my family, not to seek a blessing from them. David returned home to bless his family. Solomon gives all this, us this wisdom on marriage because he saw it fleshed out in, in the life of his father. So we say to our wives, man, you look great. Or our kids are so fortunate to have you as a mom. Or, or, or you say to your wife, you know, there is no way I could have handled this as well as you did. Or I, I'm really appreciating your, your prayers and what you've said to me in this area and, and for sharing that verse with me. It has meant so much to me because I've been honestly struggling a little right now. To love your wife is not to repay evil with evil. There's enough of evil uh, uh, around us, but it's to bless her in millions of different ways. Third, a wise husband is confident in adversity. So we see in chapter 14, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children, it will be a refuge. So when trouble hits, are you a refuge because of your faith? Or do you send your family running because of your fear? Are you positive or negative? Are you at peace or do you explode in, in difficulty? Are you focused on the person of Christ or your problems? One of the greatest theologians that England ever produced was a man by the name of John Owen. In the middle of the 1600s, John Owen was the number two man at Oxford. He was the vice chancellor. He was brilliant. But then the government in England changed, and he was booted out. He lost his job. He was disgraced, and he was ostracized uh, by the government. But that wasn't his greatest difficulty. John Owen buried all 12 of his children. And he buried his wife. But here's what he says. Contemplating the glory of Christ will restore your mind and lift up your heart above all the troubles of life. Contemplating the glory of Christ will restore your mind. It will lift up your heart above all the troubles of this life and is the sovereign antidote to the poison of tragedy. 
John Owen's confidence in God was his secure fortress, and his writings have influenced millions and millions of people, including me. Now, I have often said over the years, God has a wonderful plan for your life, but that plan involves pain. And today I want to say on the subject of marriage that God has a wonderful plan for your marriage, but that plan involves sacrifice. Do not separate your pain from God's plan. Oh, I'm in pain, so God, you know, has abandoned me. And in the same way, do not separate your sacrifice from your marriage. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And if we live this as husbands and wives, just maybe we can save marriage in our culture today. And just maybe we can make biblical traditional marriage famous again. Let's pray. Father, for the wonder of all that you give us in Christ, for your grace and your mercy, for this plan for marriage, it was your idea, you thought it up, you revealed it beginning in Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning of the Bible. I would ask for my brothers and sisters, for those that are married, for those uh, that aren't married, that we would think biblically about marriage in our culture today. And we would honor you. Give us that grace. And I pray in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. Thank you for worshiping with us today. And text your prayer request to the number on the screen, and I promise you we will pray for you. Thank you again for worshiping with us. Thank you.